Voluntary Input is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast, make money doing it. Go to anchor.fm slash start to join a diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Welcome to Voluntary Input. You know, we don't tend to talk politics a lot on here. However, I do believe that sometimes some conversations are worth having. Uh, what I like to try to do is, is learn as much as I can from, from anyone and anywhere. And like I told you people many, many times, I like to look at issues and things from different angles. I don't like to try to just jump in believing I automatically know everything and then I'm steadfast in my position and don't budge. And that being said, my guest tonight, I think, will help teach us a few things about another form of politics that, uh, well, let's just go ahead and bring him on. Uh, I'd like to welcome Mr. William Stoughton to the show. Good evening, Hello. sir. Hello. I don't know how yeah, much I want to teach you, but. How much what? I don't know how much I'm going to teach y'all, but. <laughs> I I think you, I think you'll teach us a lot, actually. Um, so first of all, how's 2020 been treating you? How's the, the COVID situation? Oh, well, you know, I am so I probably got it back in March and never got tested because back then nobody was getting tested unless you were falling over dead. All right. And I survived. Yeah, we, we think it came from our so house. Too. What's yeah. that? It's because I'm so smart. Oh yeah, your your brain power. You killed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we believe that we actually got it uh early on as well because there was a time where something just ran through the house. The kids got sick. I got sick and we, you know, I never tend to get sick and mm -hmm. and then it was over. I used yeah. to drive a I used to have a paratransit bus um back well for a year before I moved to Iowa. And um you know, so I would be like take like uh, vulnerable community folks around people with disabilities, elderly people, people who lived at, you know, nursing homes and that kind of stuff. And so I'm sure that like in some of these nursing homes where it just like took over the whole place, I probably transported some of those people to their doctor's appointments. And I'm sure I right. got a nice little healthy dose of that. Well, and that's but, actually um, so I, I work in I.T. and actually I oversee several. Uh, senior living facilities, and we're talking like 200, uh, upwards of 200 residents. So I'm quite sure yeah. I've probably been exposed to it as well. Yeah. So, yeah. well, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about your background? And because I'm sure okay. there's some people asking, well, why is he here? Who's this guy? Who's this big guy with a beard and a <laughs> blue t-shirt? Well, my name is William Stodden, and I am um, I actually hold a PhD in political science uh, from the University Southern Illinois University at Carbondale, Illinois. I got that in 2012. I was a college professor for about eight years, between 2010 and 2018. And like a lot of college professors these days, I realized that. Um, colleges and universities don't really prioritize liberal arts or social sciences anymore. And right. so the, the best job I was ever able to get was as an adjunct professor. 
Uh, and when you're an adjunct, you have to sort of piece together your schedule. You know, you may teach five classes this semester, mm-hmm. which would be an okay living. Like it's definitely not like rich living, but right. you're able to pay bills with five classes. That's a lot of teaching. And then the next semester you'll get two classes and there's no way to tell from semester to semester how much work you'll do. So I eventually left that the teaching field behind, unfortunately, and became, uh, well, I actually went to a d- number of different jobs and I settled on being a paratransit bus driver, which I mentioned before, which is actually a really good job and it paid a whole lot better than I ever made money on, as a college professor, believe it or not. What? Yeah, seriously. Wow. I, was, I was making $18 an hour, $18.35 an hour as a union driver. You know, I never made that on my best day as a college professor. I'd probably had to work three or four more classes a semester to even get close to that. Believe it. Not See, I, I always ridiculous. thought professors were like salaried. Or- well, you know, some professors are like there's associate professors and there's assistant professors. The assistant professors are the ones that are on the tenure track. Mm-hmm. Professors are the ones that have tenure. And then there's full professors like the bosses or the, the top professors in the departments. And uh, they've been with the department long enough. They're the ones who are usually the chairs of the department and that kind of thing. But um, colleges aren't really, they're not really putting out a lot of tenure track jobs anymore. Oh. And this the saying is in academia that the apple falls down. So if you go to a lower level university to start with, mm-hmm. the only jobs that are going to be available for you are those schools which are lower, lower than that. Now, if you think like you might know a Southern Illinois university from maybe football or something like that. Right. Right. But you don't know them from their political science, you know? So it's like, you know, I I'm, I'm looking at schools that are like community colleges and, and like state technical colleges and things like that for, for jobs. And they're just not hiring assistant professors anymore. So, so maybe that's why a lot of us are so confused about stuff is because no one's really teaching it. And then people are left yeah. to, just scrape together information. Yeah. Well, you know, not to sound bitter or anything like that, but I mean, this is a fact. There's a lot of money in colleges and in, uh, in colleges and universities these days. Some of these schools have, you know, multi-million dollar endorsement or endowments at their schools. Uh, But the, but the fact is that they're spending that money on, first of all, on classes they're spending on business and STEM classes because that's where all the, you know, the grants are coming in from all these these business and, and uh, technology and science fields and not from the political science area department. And the second thing they're spending it on, I really think this is wrong, is they're spending it on administration. We had um, a chancellor when I was a grad student, we had a chancellor who was making like $750,000 a year. And her job was to cut the budget of the school by 10%. That was her job over four years. And she did her job too. She did it really, really well. Oh my goodness. They paid her $750,000 a year. We asked why they were paying her so much. Like, you know, the president of the United States only makes $425,000 a year. Yeah. And she was the chancellor of Southern Illinois University making $750,000 a year. We said, why is she making $750,000 a year? And I said, well, that's the only way we're going to get a quality chancellor. I mean, how many, how many, how many budget lines could they have funded with that $750,000 a year to hire in full-time assistant professors? That's what I was, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Wouldn't you rather spend that money on quality professor, professors? You'd think, you'd think that they would, but they they decided to spend it on their chancellor instead. So whatever. That's their priority, man. It's not my problem anymore. See, I learned something new already. See? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So right now I'm focused. Right now I'm actually, since I moved recently to Iowa, 
I'm actually focused on uh, getting another job. I'm trying to get a job at the state mm-hmm. or with the federal government out here. I w- I'd like to go into the public sector. I don't really want to work for the private sector too much anymore because I'm not really, f- I'm not really for their per- for-profit model. But I'll take whatever job I come come up with. And I thought you were going to say you're going to start farming. <laughs> <laughs> I kill all plants that I touch, so I don't know about that. <laughs> so we we recently had the two party conventions. I watched both of them in their entirety. You know, I have friends on both sides. Mm-hmm. They would say, "Oh, I'm not going to watch those Democrats," or "I'm not going to watch the Republicans." But again, I like to try to take it all in, and I got my impressions from from both of them. Um, did you watch? both in their entirety or some of each and and what'd you come away with i watched the first i watched a democratic one entirely and i would say i probably watched about 50 percent or so of the republican one uh i watched i think i watched the big speeches i watched donald trump's speech and i watched um oh who's that kimberly guilfoyle guilfoyle mm-hmm. guilfoy's speech they really yeah. just wild the wild one <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was a really, it was a really different experience. I covered the democratic party convention in 2016, hmm. uh, when, uh, Hillary Clinton got the nomination and that was just a full, I mean, that was like the last of the, of the real conventions, you know? Right. Uh, and this one was more like, it looked like more like a telethon, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you, I don't know how old you are, but it, like back in the day they used to have Jerry, the Jerry Lewis. Lewis. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. looked like a telethon where they weren't really asking you for a lot of money. Like they should have been asking for money the whole time, but they didn't ask for a lot of money. They asked for money a couple of times. And I think the best night of the democratic convention was the fourth night where, uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus was on there telling jokes. Uh, <laughs> it was actually pretty entertaining. I used to love uh, her show veep. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's a pretty entertaining person. Yeah. The Republican convention. I know that they had mentioned that it was going to be, you know, like the Democratic convention was all doom and gloom and terror and everything like that. And the Republican convention would be all uplifting and all this other stuff. But in reality, it was. I think that they beat the Democrats for doom and gloom, man. It was like your whole, all your suburbs, the Democrats were going to come and wipe your suburbs out. I can't, um, I can never go for a campaign that tries to scare me to vote for somebody. Yeah. You know, when it's, you know, vote for me or your house will burn down. You know, I'm, I, that, that turns me off every time. Well, I, so I, I kind of stuff. I kind of tuned out. I'm like, let's hear the rest. Yeah. I don't, I don't really believe that they were asking, um, people who don't already see the world that way for their vote. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. They were basically talking to the people who already agree with them. So they weren't asking you for your vote and they weren't asking me for my vote either. The Demo- the Republicans weren't. I I don't know about the Democrats. I don't really feel like the Democrats were asking me for my vote either. But maybe they probably did a lot better with someone who might be a little bit more open to you know to, to well, hear. I, I, say. I honestly feel like everyone in America has already made up their minds anyway. So that's why yeah. I say they should just go ahead and have everybody vote now. I mean, nice. yeah. Why not wait? Why wait till November? Everyone's already in their little corners, which I <laughs> well, believe is part of the problem. The the simple answer is is because it's required by the Constitution that they wait yeah. until the first week of November. Yeah. So I mean, they could have actually canceled most of the the campaign. Everybody knew where that was going to be anyway. Yeah. So. And if you don't believe that, all you gotta do is get on Facebook uh, <laughs> or Twitter <laughs> or Twitter or any, oh, or any other social media for crying out loud. Any of it, yeah. Yeah. Um. 
So, well, as far as how old I am, I've been a registered voter since 1987. Um, so, you so gauge, longer than me. Engage that. <laughs> and You're I, about I'm always, 60 years older than me. <laughs> <laughs> no. Young man, listen. Uh, so, I mean, I've I've always um, said that I'm 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 an independent, and and I still am, and this year in particular really drives me going down that lane. Um, and like I said, I, I just can't believe that one group of people is always right. And I know people who are staunch Republicans and staunch Democrats. And I feel like it's, it's gotten to the point where people don't listen to each other anymore. Sure. All they do is, you know, they've locked themselves into supporting their party mm. regardless. Well, let me ask you a question about that, man, because the way I see it, and this is kind of backed up by historical fact that when someone says they're an independent, they tend to vote for one party more often than the other party. So in other words, I mean, whatever party conforms to their own particular ideology. So when they, when people say that they're independents, they, actually the true independence is only something like three and a half or 4% of the country. Mm-hmm. The other in, the people who call themselves independents tend to vote more for Democrats or more for Republicans. Would you say that you're equally likely to vote for a Republican and a Democrat? Just depending yeah. on what they say? Really? Yes. But the, the only drawback is here in the state of Ohio, to vote in the primaries, you have to register as one or the other. Sure. So I often flip flop just so I can get the ballot that I want. Right. Otherwise, you can only vote on local, which there's been times when I've done that. I'm like, well, I don't want to, you know. So uh-huh. I, I I truly believe that there's ideas on from each party. But to me, I'm actually just frustrated with the two party system. Yeah. I, I just... I honestly feel like it's pretty much failed America. I mean, these two groups of people, they've already proven what they're about over and over again. And we keep doing it. You know, we keep putting them up there Mm -hmm. and we act like there's a choice. What it really isn't a choice. I mean, what what do you believe? Yeah. The two party system. What do you think about it? Uh, Well, uh, you know, I happen to agree with you. The first, the first, like, I want to say affirmative political action. I don't think I made the decision that I was going to do this, but I think my mother did was in 84 when Walter Mondale was walk, was was speaking in uh, downtown Chicago. And he was the Democratic candidate. He was running against Ronald Reagan that year. And that was the year that Ronald Reagan got like 49 states. Yeah. And Walter Mondale got like Minnesota <laughs> and the District of Columbia. And that's it, you know, because Walter Mondale mm. was from Minnesota. So he right. picked up Minnesota and he got the District of Columbia, which is reliably Democrat since like the 60s. And... um Walter Mondale was speaking in downtown Chicago when we marched uh, for Walter Mondale with the United Steelworkers of America. Hmm. My mother was a steelworker and she worked for Bethlehem Steel in northwestern Indiana. And um, I mean, that's that's what you would call now Trump's, you know, blue collar, white working class voter would be my mother. Right. You know, she was the person that got screwed over by globalization. She was a person that got screwed over by the Japanese. That she blamed everything on the Japanese. Oh, back then it was yeah. huge when the cars yeah. started coming. Right. Yeah. I mean, everything. And she was a steel worker, and so the Japanese were actually they had better processes with their steel mills, and so the, of course they were underselling American steel. Yeah. And then we got, you know, we got upset because they came and dumped a lot of steel on the United States because they sold their steel in the United States cheaper than we could even make it. And people accused it of being yeah. cheap steel. Right. They yeah. said it wasn't exactly. good. And 
Yeah. Right. And so she would be the she would be the ideal Trump voter. And I mean, if I would have grown up up there instead of going on getting an education, I would have been the demographic that was supposed that was supposed to vote for Donald Trump. Right. Well, as a matter of fact, you know, Walter Mondale said one thing after he lost. He said, look, you know, I told the truth about raising taxes. He said he had to raise taxes because that's the only way we're going to get out of the debt crisis that we were in. You want to get out of the debt, you have to raise taxes. You have to cut spending. You got to do things that are politically unpopular. And yeah. Democrats hate it when you cut spending and Republicans hate it when you raise taxes. You got to upset both people, you know, both sets right. of people. And so as a matter of fact, he said, I've told the truth about raising taxes. I told the truth and I paid the price. And he lied and he now we're all going to pay the price. And he was right. And, you know, I think the Democratic Party has gone more toward the, you know, we're going to help the Republicans lower taxes as far as we possibly can as long as we get to raise spending. And the Republicans have all basically come down to the thing is like the only way we're going to get to cut taxes is if we help the Democrats raise spending. And so they're both on board with the same thing. And as a result, you know, I heard something on the radio yesterday. We have a $27 trillion budget deficit now. $27 trillion. I remember and, when it was 14 and everyone was like, 14 trillion. Yeah. And like, look at how, look how bad Obama did on his watch. It's now 20, 20 trillion or 19 trillion. And now yeah. look at how bad Trump did on his watch. It's 27 trillion. Well, you know, I mean, you know, we have a fiat currency in this country, but we could just print a $27 trillion bill and hand it to whoever and say, look, here's the, here's $27 trillion. There's our, there's our debt, you know, that paid off. That would destroy the world economy if we did something like that, but we could do it. But, you know, the debt isn't really a problem. The problem is the fact that these people are both, I mean, there's very so little difference between their policy priorities between the Democrats right. and Republicans. The, the Even a person that's like yourself that might be looking for a difference can't seem to find one on a lot of occasions. I heard on the radio once, um, and this was a Republican, I can't remember his name. I think he was a congressman too. He was being interviewed on NPR about D.C., and they said he slipped up and said this. He said uh, what American citizens don't realize is when you come to D.C., they're all really the same. He yeah. said we're all fighting for the same thing sure. on a daily basis. You know, all we see are the, the big items on the news. Mm -hmm. But he said on a day to day basis, Republicans and Democrats are all doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, Dan and I worked on a series of issues in 2016 and they culminated in a discussion of the, the concept of kayfabe. Are you familiar with professional wrestling? No, I mean, yeah. well, a little, but it, I never... it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird thing to ask in this case. So kayfabe yeah. is, a, is a wrestling concept where you got people who are like supposedly the good guys and you got people who are supposedly on the bad, the bad guys on this side and right. they fight one another and they look like they're beating the tar out of each other. And then they go backstage and have a beer together. They're not really right. enemies. You know, kayfabe is, is a suspension of disbelief that you have to engage in, in order to, or in order to enjoy the wrestling program. Right, right. You know, and so in America, and this is one of the things that Dan and I talked about in our article, in the United States, we have in, we've involved ourselves in this massive kayfabe where we believe that the Republicans are super bad and the Democrats are all awesome. And, you know, they're really fighting against each other and one another. But as a matter of fact, we know, everybody knows that they're paid by the same people. Like there's not, there's not, not, not even us corporations, man. Oh, they're, true. Yeah, they're true, bought true. Up, They're bought off by their lobbyists and they're paid yeah. for the lobbyists pay for access and all this stuff. I mean, you'd go try to get a half hour with, with Nancy Pelosi today, right now you do it. And I, I, I know I can't, 
I yeah. don't, you can't either. But you know, if you <laughs> show up with not. if you show up with a suitcase full of money and say this is for you know down ballot Democrats, she'll give you a half hour of her time. You can't even do that with a former president. Yeah, it, it, or a former you know? first lady. Right. You have to bring. You have to bring the six cash. figures. Yeah, to, and you yeah. and you got to bring about a thousand donors too. You know? Right. And the the whole system is awash with money, and it's totally legal. And they're all, you know, and it's whatever, you know, whatever lobbyists talk to them last that they, they think will help get them votes and more campaign contributions as the people they go with. And so, I mean, it's kind of like if you have, if you want to look at the duopoly, as you mentioned, it's corrupt to the core, man. And they're all in on it. And we all know what's going on, but it's to our benefit to pretend, oh, well, I'm a Democrat. So I hate the Republicans. They're totally corrupt and they're totally evil. And the Republicans, it's to their benefit to say the same thing. It's to the benefit for these politicians to keep us all riled up about the other side rather than letting us understand that they're actually both fighting against us. And that's where I come down on. It's, it's sad to think about, too. I mean, it's, yeah. it, now everything is just so hostile, it seems, especially in media. Do you think it's the worst it's ever been? Is this like the worst you've seen? I feel like it is. No. I'm like, I don't remember so many people especially average citizens um, just so engaged in attacking and arguing yeah. with each other over well, politi I, political partisanship. Is I mean, really we is. don't really even have to look back that far. Excuse me. If you think about like um, 2010, around that time frame, maybe even 2008 uh, when Obama was running for president, if you think about some of the things that people said about him, just vicious, vicious, yeah. violent stuff, man. Yeah. And it was like the most like evil, horrible personal attacks against him, against his wife. And yeah. you know, to be honest with you, you know, as a white dude, I got a lot of friends, and they felt like, well, you know, here's two white white dudes talking about we can talk about Obama like this. And I'm just like, dude, I'm not on your side when you talk talk about him. Like, you know, he's got his problems, but I mean, you can't say stuff like that against no. him. Right, right. You know what I mean? But they would say the most evil, hate, hateful things. And it was so open. They were so willing to say it about him. And yeah. now because we got Trump in there, we seem to think that this is brand new. It's not, and I have friends that have to remind goes, them man. of that stuff. They act like, oh, everybody's picking on Donald Trump. They're picking on this. This is horrible. It's the worst it's ever been. And I have to remind them, guys, This. do you remember the last eight years? Right. I mean, did, right. I, and I always attribute it to, I believe a lot of Americans have the attention span of gnats. It's like as soon as <laughs> the next guy's in, everything else that happened before is over. That never happened. Right. right. I mean, right. this isn't the worst it's ever been. I mean, historically speaking, we fought a civil war yeah. uh, in the country and that, that killed like 500,000 Americans, more north and south. Before, mm -hmm. before the civil war, like the year before the civil war, down south, if you even had, if you even appeared to be like a northerner or to be questioning the institution of slavery down there, they'd lynch you. They didn't care what color you were. White white people get lynched just as quick as black people would. You know, after and John Brown raid John Brown's raid and everything. That's that's to me, that's the worst that's ever been in this country. And we ain't there yet. Not get yet. There. I hope we don't get there. Right. I hope I hope not. I, I um I was watching this thing about Grant and his wife when he went down to, you know, meet her and meet her dad and they were slave owners. Yeah. You know, I guess he had got criticized because he wouldn't say anything. But right. I'm quite sure that's probably why he wouldn't at first, because right. they probably kill him, because well, his dad was a, uh, an abolitionist. So, uh -huh. well, you know, the thing is, is that you know, there's a good book called John Brown Abolitionist, mm -hmm. which talks about the not only the John Brown raid at Harper's Ferry, 
but also the aftermath of that. that and this is a story you don't really hear. John Brown was was uh, what his raid was in 19, 1859 at the end of 1859 December. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Civil War didn't start till April of 61. So there's that little like year and a half period there uh, where all of this stuff was just fermenting and just kind of boiling over in the South. And it really was, uh, you know, anyone that even even suggested they had any kind of sympathies with the North, like they would get gangs of dudes to go over and burn their house down with them in it. And they just did it with impunity. Like no one stopped them. No one even talked about the rule of law anymore. That was the law. And that's what led to the Civil War. We don't really talk about that kind of stuff because it's not really that comfortable to talk about right? in history class, you know? And it, and it just makes you wonder, how could somebody, I don't know. My mom used to tell me, you know, don't don't try too hard to figure out how these people are <laughs> this way because you could end up being like them. Uh, <laughs> like, I, that's just... Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, there's a lot of similarities to what we're going through today. And... I think that having conversations is a good way to kind of like nip it, you know, but I don't know, like you say, I don't know too many people are willing to have conversations about it. You know, they're just willing to fight about it. And that's what they want to do. Everyone is def- so defensive. I feel like right now, I mean, I know a few people who aren't, but in general, it seems like, yeah, like I said, if you look at media, you look at social media, it's just this constant battle. Yeah. And I've I've told friends I've never seen so many people in defense of parties mm-hmm. as much as I see now. But well, I, this is one thing I don't think that people realize, and I wish that people would realize if, they, if people just took a moment, just a, one little moment to think, you know, is what I'm saying on Twitter now going to change anybody's mind? Right. Is it going to change anything? Do I really need to say that on Twitter? Like I I say a lot of very incendiary stuff on Twitter just because <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Yeah, I think I the whole situation is pretty funny, mm. you know. But I say a lot of very incendiary stuff on on Twitter, and uh, you know, at at the end of the day, I'm using it to my to amuse myself, you know, because I only have sixty followers, so it's not like anyone can read my stuff anyway, you know. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying <laughs> it doesn't get retweeted or anything like that. I put out honest calls for people to buy my book, mm. and you know, I get like one like, you know, and so. Right. Might as well make fun of it. But there are some people with like 24 or 25,000 people and they say the most like vile stuff on Twitter. And then they think that they're actually commanding an army. And as a matter of fact, they ain't. They're not doing anything. They're just adding to the heat. And I, I try to, you know, you were talking about the personal insults against Obama. And yeah. there's people who personally insult Trump. Mm-hmm. I try, whenever I do say anything negative about him, it's because of, policy or something he said or done i've never and i know people who they post memes and jokes about his appearance or whatever i personal attacks that doesn't it doesn't do anything but i'm like anyone else i'll get frustrated by something he said or done and and i'll just point it out um and i think that's where we we need to be we need to be able to say yeah he messed up here and and i tell people this all the time i I, I know people automatically assume I just loved Obama. I didn't love everything. I didn't love everything about Obama, but that's, no. he's like any other president. I would point out things he, that I didn't agree with right. and things I did agree with, but I think yeah. far too many, I think far too many people are willing to give their guy a pass. Oh, you yes. know what I mean? And it, we saw this with Obama. Like, for example, I always tell the story. I was an anti-war activist mm-hmm. from, from nine twelve on, 
like 9-11 made me an anti-war person because I knew what was going to happen. Like all right. these people are going to get killed and, and, and for what, you know, for some vengeance like fantasy that we have in this country or what, I don't know. But <laughs> at any, I don't, anyway, the, the thing is, is that like we had a real good movement going. We had a lot of energy as long as George Bush was in office. Mm-hmm. But as soon as Barack Obama took over in 2009, it all went away. And it was like night and day, man. It's like someone turned off a switch and all these people went home. And so this is one of the things I'm concerned with. Like people complained about how horrible the government was under Barack Obama, how terrible the dictatorship of Barack Obama, King Barack the first or whatever they call them, you know, all this other terrible stuff. And then once Donald Trump got elected, all those people shut up. And all of Obama supporters came out of the woodwork again and got it back out in the streets and started having <laughs> Women's Day protests or what women's protests the day after the election, before Donald Trump even got in office. Right. They had a protest against him. They lost the election. I mean, for crying I out mean, loud. I mean, you can't you know? you're not gonna protest him out of the office. That's not that's not how this works. Well, no, but, but I mean a lot of his policies are have been legitimately horrible. I, I mean, he has some really terrible policies. But I mean and, and and I'm a socialist, as you know. It's probably why you booked me on the show. The dirty so, word. We were getting to that next word. Uh, <laughs> I can even say something nice about his policy. I mean, I can find something nice to say about his policy. I liked his. Uh, I liked the the law that he signed into law about the prison reform on the federal right. level. Yeah. I mean, I appreciated that. It's about time that it happened. It's a small first step, but it's something. You know, and it's a whole something a whole lot more than the Democrats were willing willing to do when they had control. And I appreciate his stance on uh, the trade imbalance. I've for decades I've wondered, you know, people say, oh, man, everything's made in China. And they would joke about I'm like, you don't think that's a problem? At what point do you think (laughs) it's okay that we don't make anything anymore and everything just comes to us and we don't export anything except food? Yeah. Well, you know, there's a good reason why that is, of course, because you can't get people to make shoes at like a buck and a half a shoe anymore in the United States. See, they require like your the shoes that we already pay too much for would be like 50 times as expensive if we had them made in America. Yeah. And Americans like cheap things. So if you <laughs> if you if you're looking for the problem, it's not China. The China's not the problem. No, we use it ourselves. They merely supply the demand. It's us. It's our consumers. Right. And so Trump is taking that on. And I I agree with him. I think, yeah, we need to do something. Now, just make it 50-50. That's what he was always saying. You know, we trade X amount of things with you. You trade X amount of things with us. You know, balance it back out. And I agree with him on that. And fair fair trade has always been a position of, of the left. It's never been a position of the Republicans or Democrats. So what you're saying has always been a position of the left. Right. Where you have, look, if they put tariffs on us, we put tariffs on them. If they lift tariffs on us and give us free trade, we'll give them free trade. That's the position of the, of the left. Right. You know, but the 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 people who are like who are full on free traders in the Democrat and Republican Party, Democratic and Republican Party, they they don't support that. They want to just open up all trade barriers and allow money to flow workers to flow back and forth across borders, even if it means that American workers are put out of work. I mean, and then kind of a hard sell. Claim, <laughs> a lot of them claim they're not for that. Yeah. That's not what it's about. It's about freedom and allowing any person who is a refugee who needs to seek asylum. Yeah. I mean, well, and they I don't all, know. And that's why I try to tell people they all do it. They all put that little bit of gloss on everything. Right. When under the yeah. surface, we all know it boils down to the money. Yeah. 
So. And that's actually what the decisions are being made based on. That's the basis of all their decisions is the money. They can put whatever happy spin on it that they want to. But as a matter of fact, the biggest opponents to Donald Trump's immigration policies in the United States are, are those people who employ illegal immigrants in the Southwest. And I'm not going to say that I'm not going to go the whole, you know, Trump route and say these people are illegals. And I'm not saying we need to protect American workers over foreign workers. I say that everybody got to get a chance uh, personally. But, you know, the people that oppose the people that oppose the immigration policies the most are those people who have benefited whose pocketbooks. Let's let's be honest, whose bottom lines have benefited from hiring illegal immigrants, people who are here illegally who don't have any protection of the law and who they can just rob of their, their, uh, you know, of their wages whenever they want to. Now that's, that, that is who benefits most from, uh, you know, having open borders or those, those capitalists, excuse me, those capitalist businessmen who go down to the, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the corner, you know, the home Depot, right. And, and hire people by the, by the day and fill up the back of their truck and take them out and work them like dogs and then don't pay them. And and again, this has been going on for decades and people act like it's suddenly a problem. It's always yeah. been this way. I was watching, um, I watch a lot of PBS mm-hmm. and uh, we have a show called Our Ohio Farm and they were running a piece about when all this border clashing started, uh, the farmers, they were talking to farmers who didn't have people to work their fields mm-hmm. because they were like, well, now that everything, they're shutting down all the borders. We don't have anyone to right. tell the harvest. There's a pretty and good like, well, who were you hiring? Right. You know, you weren't and hiring. You weren't hiring the people who were who supposedly just want jobs and can't find any because of all the undocumented labor around here. Right. You, there's actually a pretty good movie called The Day Without a Mexican, mm-hmm. and it talks it talks about what happens. What would happen if you know all of these policies, which are designed to shut the borders to Latinos coming into this country to do the crappy jobs? that Americans don't want to do, what happens if those policies actually went through and Mexicans stopped being you know, employed in the United States? It's actually a pretty good movie. Well, that's just it. America, we, we got to stop lying to ourselves. Right. We, we know what's going on. Yeah. Just, <laughs> we know who's, <laughs> I mean, our, the first house we had built, yeah. guess who was building it? And they did a great job. All yeah. of them, they were there day and night. <laughs> so. Yeah. And then it's funny to me because people would joke about it, mm-hmm. but then now it's a problem. Now right. it's not a joke anymore. Yeah. Now it's a problem. Now that their guy is making a big deal about it. Right. But yeah. you didn't have a problem with it before. Right. So, and, and you don't have a problem hiring those folks, you know, when you need someone to work cheap for you, you know, not you, but like, right. Right. It's, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Well, you brought up the dirty word of the day. Yeah. <laughs> Socialist. Like like on uh Pee-wee's, Pee-wee's Big Adventure or whatever when he said the magic <laughs> word and everybody goes crazy. Pee-wee's Playhouse. <laughs> that was that so was cheery. Uh, poor anyway, Pee-wee. That's but what I, <laughs> I I think uh and you can tell me if you believe. I think in general Americans don't really truly understand what socialism is. And People kick it around all the time. Like I said, it's 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 uh it is literally the dirty word of the day. I mean, the president talks about well, uh, Biden's going to bring in the radical left socialism. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what would you think would be a a a good definition of socialism for for Americans to under really understand what it is? 
to help them try to understand what it is. Well, like every good socialist, I have to preface what I'm about to say to say that what I'm about to say doesn't really represent like every socialist because there's as many different kinds of socialists as there are different kinds of people. I guarantee it. If you put 10 socialists in a room, you'll get like 15 different opinions about what socialism truly is. Right. Which is ridiculous, you know, but I'm going to say that at the basis, there's, there's a few characteristics for socialism, which I think encompass all the socialisms. Okay. And the first and foremost characteristic of socialism and this this is for everyone, okay? So this excludes people like Bernie Sanders. This excludes people like AOC. Because the very first and foremost characteristic of socialism is opposition to capitalism. Oh, yeah. All right? And if you're not for abolishing capitalism, you are not a socialist, period. Okay. So all socialists, all true socialists, that's kind of a logical um, a fallacy there to say all true socialists, but all socialists that meet the, the definition of socialism are opposed to capitalism and they don't want to reform capitalism. Understand they don't think that capitalism can be reformed. They need to, they want to abolish it and they want to abolish it using any different kinds of methods. Now the different kinds of methods you employ will determine what kind of socialist you are. You know, all if right. you're, if you're a, you know, a vanguardist, I'm going to start a workers revolution type of guy. You might be, you know, a Leninist, you know, or if you believe that you're going to organize all the peasants to overthrow the state and therefore capitalism, you might be a Maoist. Now understand I'm, I'm giving them very, very cursory, very like really like superficial (laughs) definitions here, but there are different kinds of socialists and usually the socialists differ on method rather than on theory. Because a socialist is first and foremost against capitalism. Now, the the word socialism comes from the it's the ism of society, basically, right? And and capitalism, and I think we'll get to this a little bit later on in the show. The capitalism is a system that exists for the by and for the benefit of the capitalists, or it's in, it exists in service to capital, whereas socialism exists in service and by and for society. And so the, you, you, see, you can see where you get the divergence between capitalism and socialism here. Mm-hmm. If you're for reforming capitalism but leaving it in place, you're not a socialist because you're keeping the dominant system that currently is in place, the, so the, the capitalist system, in place with reforms to make it, like, nice, to make it feel better, you know? Right, right. Uh, as of Americans. Right. In the eyes of Americans, because, you know, we do benefit and and I'm going to be the first person to say we benefit a lot from capitalism. Yeah. You know, I mean, think about the think about the uh, different technological innovations we've had in society over the last 150 years because we have allowed the accumulation of wealth. And but then people get angry about that. Then they get angry about it. Like we're going through that now with big tech. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. There, there's an excess of it, of course. If you, if you were able to maintain a moderate position on it, it might be all right. But you know, every socialist will say that capitalists can't maintain a moderate position because the only ethic in so in capitalism is to accumulate more and more and more wealth. True, and that's the only thing that, they don't need to be worried about the environment. That's not that if they worry about the environment, that's a cost that they're in, incurring, and that decreases their ability to accumulate more wealth. 
you know, more wealth for the capitalists, more wealth. And, and if we happen as consumers or citizens, we happen to benefit from capitalism is purely coincidental. They don't make awesome products in the market so so we can be happy. They make awesome products in the market so that we'll buy them. And when we buy them, we're making them richer. And they don't hire anybody, uh, you know, at a factory or at a company unless that person's going to make them more money than it costs to hire them. You know, and any any business or any company that does, uh, you know, is involved in this whole, uh, you know, oh, I'd like to employ everybody 100% employment. That's my motivation. Those are bad business people, and those people are going to fail in business. This is true. It's, it's just how business works. You know, yeah. if you're if you're not concerned about your pro your your you know your profit, you're going to be you're going to be a failure as a business person. And so. I always say that the the skills that make a good capitalist or a good businessman make a terrible public administrator because you need to look to the benefit of your shareholders only. Yeah. Uh, if you're a corporation or yourself, if you're a privately held you know, business. Mark Zucker. That, that, <laughs> that's, that's your only consideration. Whereas when you do public policy, you have to look to the benefit of everybody. Right. Even people that don't pay taxes, they still need to be able to use roads and use schools and use a well-regulated electricity infrastructure and all this other stuff. Because if they're not able to use those public goods, then the whole society kind of falls apart. And you have all kinds of lawlessness and everything like that. So if you are worried only about the benefit of your to your shareholders, you can't possibly understand what it is to actually run a business essentially for uh, that, that costs money rather than profits. Right. You know, the road infrastructure doesn't, doesn't make any money. You can't charge for the use of a public street, you know, but it costs the city a ton of money to put a road in, you know, yeah. what, what business person, if you left that up to a private, the private sector, what business person will put that road in? Well, they put tolls all through it. Yeah, they would. Yeah. yeah so. And then it wouldn't be a public street. It'd be a private street. True. True. And, you know, I, you know, I think that businesses, they don't want that, the, the cost of building and then maintaining the road. So that's why they don't do it. This is one of the reasons why the the private sector didn't build NASA in the 1950s and 60s, because the cost of sending rockets into space was so astronomically, excuse the pun, high. <laughs> you know, double <Don't laughs> Right. It was so incredible, astronomically high that no business was going to reap any kind of benefit on it. Well, there was no return. Right. There was no return to it. They just send people up and then bring people back. Yeah. Now that there's a return on the investment, you see people like Elon Musk getting into the into the space game because he can actually charge people for rides on the space shuttle. He can charge these telecom companies from, you know, money to bring their satellites up into space. Yeah. I mean, it's profitable for him. So that's why he's doing it now. If we'd left it to the private sector, we would never have NASA. We would never have a moonshot. We would never have the first man in orbit or the first chimp in orbit or the first dog in orbit or, or all these satellites that we have up there now. Right. If we left it to the for-profit sector, so that's the difference between socialism and capitalism. You can't be for socialism and be for capitalism at the same time. It just doesn't. It's not. So, so what is work? But so what is Bernie Sanders talking about? Democratic socialism. So when Bernie Sanders says democratic socialism, for, there is a democratic socialism, and it's a socialism with I, everything I just said using the method of democracy. All right, so that's democratic socialism. If Bernie Sanders is saying democratic socialism, what he's really saying is social democracy. And social democracy is a liberal capitalist system that you see in places like Denmark, 
He's used Denmark as an example. Right. So I'm not too far out of field by saying that. Norway, Sweden. And if you look at the economy in Sweden, it actually has a very robust capitalist uh, economy in Sweden. Now, there's a lot of like heavy-duty you know, state welfare programs uh, like child care, like free schools and all this other stuff. But all of that stuff is designed, number one, to, uh, to soften the blow of capitalism when it hits people because it does. The business cycle is an up and down thing. And when it goes down, a lot of people, you know, lose their livelihoods. So the social democracy is designed to soften the blow from that down right. in the business cycle. Uh, and it also is designed to protect the economy from the problems that are caused by political dislocation, which is the result of that, you know, people hitting the floor in the downtimes in the business cycle. We're seeing a lot of that today because we've, you know, spent 40 years gutting our social welfare system in this country. And now you see people out in the street going crazy because they have no help from anybody at all. I mean, these people, a lot of these guys who are out in the streets don't have anything better to do. So they go out and riot or protest and people whatever. And this. Yeah. I, I mean, if you, if you found a way to give those guys jobs, you'd think they'd be out in the street. No, they'd be out making money. They'd be at their job, exactly. but they can't. I mean, we have 20 million people right now that are unemployed. I mean, if you think about it, that's like a 10th of the, of the, of the workforce is unemployed right now. And so you wonder why people are upset. Well, if you had a social democracy system, like something that Bernie Sanders would be advocating in the country, those people wouldn't be feeling such horrible negative effects of the COVID on the economy. And they would be able to survive it a little bit better, a little bit easier. And they would have less of, less of something to complain about. I mean, it makes sort of, it makes some sense, you know? And, and it truly is a symptom of capitalism, because I think what happens is most Americans, and I will admit myself included, we go, but my money, yeah, you know, what you're talking about takes my money. Yeah, that's fine. That I work for. I don't yeah. know if this would be backward in your, uh, in your, your window. I'd like to do this. <laughs> this is my, okay, I don't know if you can read that. That, that says the United States of America. Federal Reserve note. I don't see my name anywhere. I don't even see my picture on that. Right. This is a Federal Reserve note. And this this money means something because the Federal Reserve says it means a dollar. If the Federal Reserve says, no, that doesn't mean a dollar. That means zero. Well, it means 58 cents right now, doesn't it? No, it actually means a dollar. It means a dollar. The whole relative, that's a whole relative. That's a completely different discussion. Anyway, the the point I'm trying to make is, if they say that it means nothing and we've switched to dinar today, mm-hmm. then this is worthless paper. We should use it to wipe our butts in the in the bathroom. You know what I'm saying? That's what's yeah. that's what it's worth. It's worth less than worth less than toilet paper because it's terrible toilet paper. And if and people it want very well either. A really good Not their money. explanation of that. I have a friend who was stationed in Kuwait during the uh, first Iraqi war mm-hmm. and he brought back Iraqi money. And he said they there was just tons of it because it's worthless. Right. It it, it means yeah. nothing. And he gave me some of it. I still have it just right. because who knows? Maybe one day it'll <laughs> but like yeah, as a souvenir. But like yeah. you said, one day it could just be worth nothing. Right. And as long as they as long as they keep saying it's worth a dollar, it's worth a dollar. And people keep buying a dollar worth of stuff with it. Whatever that happens to be. You know, so, but here, here's an real quick before we go on. Here's another good example of just that exact phenomenon. When I was in Argentina in 2002, they were undergoing a severe financial crisis down there, where their money was locked up in the Bank of France because some brilliant idiot in Argentina decided we need to put the entire we need to invest the entire 
Argentine treasury in the Bank of France. What? And I don't know. And maybe they thought, because they unpegged, they used to have it pegged, the pesos to dollars. You used to have it three pesos to one dollar. Right. Right. One, maybe it was one peso to one dollar. It was pegged to the dollar anyway. So as the dollar would go up and down, the Argentine peso would go up and down. And there's a reason why that's a really stupid policy. But we won't get into That's a very in-depth discussion. The fact is that they unpegged their peso to the dollar and let it float. And by the time I got down there, the, the peso was worth 2.7 pesos to the dollar. And it had lost something like, you know, four or five hundred percent of its value. Goodness. In a matter of like six months, they lost three presidents over the matter. And um, people were rioting in the streets and people were running, making runs on the bank. And it was nuts. And the bank only had so much money. And so it only opened its doors one hour every single day. And people were lined up down the block to get to the bank and pull their money out while the bank was open. Maybe they might get in today. Maybe they might have to wait till tomorrow or whatever the case may be. But when we went down there, I brought U.S. dollars down there. And we could go to any dude on the street. There was a, like an official money-changing place called a Cambio. We could go to the Cambio and get 2.7 on it. Or we can go to the dude out in the street and get 2.9 on it. And I asked, I said, why is it that the person on the street who's an illegal vendor, by the way, why is it that that dude's giving me 2.9 when the when the official rate is 2.7? And they said, well, because tomorrow it's going to be worth three pesos to the dollar. So he's making money on the transaction. That's how quickly the, the peso's falling apart in this country. And so what they started doing is, you know, uh, Argentina has a federal system a lot like the United States is circa 1850. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they have states like we do, right. and one of the states was started issuing its own currency, Uh-oh. which was competing against the national, you know, the natural <laughs> national peso. But this currency wasn't necessarily currency because on the back of it was a big, huge, long contract that was the law of the state that they passed that said we can issue currency in this financial crisis, and this is a promissory note, so that when the financial crisis is over, you can take this two pesos to any bank in our state and get two actual pesos. So the, but everybody was betting that the stuff would be absolutely worthless by the time the financial crisis is over. And right. so you saw people in the bank and in, in the grocery stores selling milk for a buck and a half U S U S currency or three, you know, the equivalent of $3 in pesos or the equivalent to four and a half dollars in this, fake promissory note currency from the state of Ontario's. And it was like they, they would, and they would, they had them printed in the windows because three times a day, the dude in the store would come and change the prices on them as the, as the value of the milk went up. That's how fast the economy was falling apart. So and what, what did what? they do? Whatever. Well, eventually they, eventually they re they resolved the financial crisis by, um, Let's see. How, I don't want to misrepresent what they did, but they fin- they finally got loans to to support to put supports under their currency to stop it from free fall. Uh-huh. And once the loans were given out, they because p- part of the reason why their their currency was in free fall is they told the IMF that they weren't going to pay their debt anymore. And so all of the credit of the country just evaporated overnight when they repudiated their national debt. Yeah. And if we if we repudiated our national debt, which we totally could, you know, we would destroy literally. It would be Argentina times a trillion, you know, in the in the world. You know, oh, could you imagine if that happened yeah. tomorrow? But they eventually got loans to underwrite their currency to allow their currency to stabilize. But 
that's that's currency, man. <laughs> and, and all that being said, would you, what, what makes you think? What, why do you believe so many young people? Because I hear a lot of young people, and by young, I mean thirty and under, mm-hmm. who keep bringing up, you know, that they're attracted to socialism. Could it be because of all of this that you explained about capitalism and? Well, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. Well, I mean, there's a lot of that. I mean, people, old people know that this is going on too. It's not, it's not like they're exactly hiding it. Right. Um, you know, people from your generation, people from my generation, pretty, pretty much the same generation. You know, I, I started voting in 1984 or 94. I mean, so I'm not that far behind you, but right. Um, the people from our generation know that's happened, but we were at the end of the tail, uh, the tail end of the cold war. Mm-hmm. We were told, you know, communism is horrible. Therefore, socialism is horrible. Marxism is horrible and blah, 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 blah. And they didn't really tell us why. It was just bad. It was just bad because it was the Soviets doing it, you know, and we're the good guys and they're the bad guys and, yeah. you know, Wolverines and all this other stuff. You know, Red Dawn did a really great job propagandizing America against communism because the hunt for Red know, October. Yeah, they, yeah, the hunt for Red October. I mean, it was all like these evil communists that were just mindlessly kill Americans who were just trying to mind their own business and do, you know, do good for the world, you know? And like the the premise is ridiculous, but that's because we don't really know people our age and older don't really know what socialism is. Not really. Socialists do, but you know, the average person on the street, you're in my age, don't know what socialism is. And the average person on, on, you know, among the youth, uh, have heard Bernie Sanders, and they like what Bernie Sanders has to say, and he's been on TV saying this is socialism, this is socialism, this is socialism, and it, it you know at the end of the day his his policy uh, agenda is very limited and very you know reform oriented and and quite moderate compared to what an actual socialist we don't actual socialists don't want Medicare for all we want to nationalize the entire healthcare industry. All right, and which national politician is on the TV saying, "No, we don't need Medicare for all." That's screw that. We want to just make every single you know healthcare provision be a state-run operation. Nobody on TV is saying that's what so that's like the minimum a socialist would want. Would want. That's right. the minimum. No, none of this like insurance, like premium coverage. You know, we don't want you know people to be able to buy into a market with you know subsidies. We want to nationalize healthcare. Mm-hmm. That's what a that's what a socialist wants. And I mean, when's the last time you heard Bernie Sanders suggest we should nationalize all of healthcare? I think he knew he couldn't say that. He can't. He, he can't. Yeah. But you know, he because because he's a reform oriented social democrat, right? But he gets on TV and says, "I'm a socialist. I'm a socialist." And you know what else? This economy isn't working for you, young person. You get out of college saddled with this huge student debt. And they tell you you need to take the student debt out because you have to get a job in this capitalist economy. And guess what? There's no jobs for you. Sorry. You know, I guess you got to work at Arby's or whatever. Not Nothing against working at Arby's, but I guess you got to work there yeah. to pay off your debt, you know, to start paying off this debt that you can never possibly pay off in your lifetime. You know, people eventually get sick of that and they start getting attracted to alternatives. And so now their young people are looking at alternatives and they didn't have the negative counter programming that you and I and people older than us had. Right. You know. And I think and I've I've heard of young people that are in this situation where they look at oh I'm about to go to college 
and my parents are still paying on their student loans. Right. So yeah, so it's like there's got to be a better way. Yeah, I'm gonna be paying on my student loans forever, like forever until I die. I have a sister-in-law that says, "Yeah, she'll she'll never pay it off." No, yeah, never, there's no way. I, yeah, that does it. It just doesn't make any sense. Hmm. Nope. But and I understand why young people are attracted to that because you know they got you know sixty or eighty years left on this planet, yeah. and they see how people who are my age and your age and older have screwed everything all up and I don't blame them for being upset or looking for alternatives that not at all. And I always say that I have a brother-in-law. We joke about that all the time. Gen X, we, we didn't do anything. We, cruise. <laughs> yeah, we right. didn't do anything to fix anything. Yeah, <laughs> we right. We didn't screw anything up or, or, you know, fix anything. No, we didn't break nothing, but right. we didn't fix anything either. <laughs> yeah, we just want to watch Beavis and Butthead. Just leave us alone. Oh, I heard that's yeah. coming back, by the way. Oh, no. <laughs> Speaking yeah, of that, we're going to get way off track here. I watched a documentary just the other night about Ren and Stimpy. Oh my and God. The creator. I, there is so much that I didn't know. It's some disgusting stuff, too. Not just <laughs> that, that cartoon, but mm. he has issues. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't ask about that kind of stuff back in the day, you know. I mean, there was barely like AOL, so there's right. not like we could like go online and do a deep dive into his history. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's really eye opening the things that were going on, yeah, and how it all fell apart. Because yeah. I thought Ren and Stimpy just got canceled because you know it was like, well, that's enough. No, it it ended pretty badly, but yeah. <laughs> but um. Healthcare, that's a thing I struggle with too. Cause I, again, I'm that same way. I, I don't want government run healthcare. I, I certainly don't want Medicare for all because I've seen how Medicare operates. Mm. I don't want that at all. Well, but, but then on know, the flip side, I have to put myself in other people's position. Whereas I have healthcare through, well, actually through my wife's job. Mm. And most Americans do. And so when COVID hit and people started losing jobs, Boy, did that crack ever show. Start losing their hot, they start losing their health care then. So then it's like, yeah, we got to do something different because yeah. health care shouldn't be tied to your employment. Right. You should be able to. But again, and I don't claim to know the answers, but I don't like to be that person that says, well, no, the government can't do it. And I've been that person yeah. only because I don't trust government. And I see how slow things move. And I've dealt with Medicare and it's like, no. I don't want that. So then, yeah, what what do we do? Well, you know, I've I've you know, I was on Medicaid. Uh, state of Illinois had a really good program. They they wanted all the kids uh, in the state to get on the CHIP program. Oh, so chip. the kids had the kids had access to healthcare. And then Blagojevich, of all people, that crook, uh, <laughs> he did actually did something really good in the state. He allowed the parents of people who were on CHIP, parents of kids who were on CHIP, to buy into CHIP based on their income. It was a sliding scale. And instead of paying the, the money to a private insurance company, why not pay it to the state health program? It's already there. And right. we could buy into CHIP. And, you know, when I was on CHIP, when I was on uh, the, the adult version, which was Medicaid, uh, you know, CHIP is administered through Medicaid. Uh, when I was on Medicaid in the state of Illinois, I got all my health care. I got all the medicine I needed. And I actually got a crown on Medicaid, hmm. and it cost me like everything.
to the doctor, it cost me $20, $25. And every month I paid a $57 a month premium for Medicaid. And I know that you that you mentioned that you're not for government health care, but the government didn't provide the health care. It was a private, you know, private, you know, company or whatever, just like a regular doctor's office that was doing the health care. Medicaid only paid for it. And right. so I don't like I'm not really sure like when people say I don't want state run health care. Well, fine. You know, as a socialist, I realize that's kind of a pipe dream, especially in this country. I mean, there's like several steps that we can take between where we are now and where I want it to be. Right. And one of those things, you know, people say Medicare for all. The reason why they say Medicare for all is because Medicaid has such a negative uh, connotation due to the fact that it's a poor program. It's a poor relief program. But right. as a matter of fact, as it stands today, Medicaid is a much better program than Medicare is because with Medicare, it only pays for certain things. And then for other things, it only pays a certain amount for those things. You actually have to get supplemental insurance from Medicare. With Medicaid, that's not the problem. You don't have to do that. They pay for everything. It's a $25 copay flat for a doctor visit. And it's a $25 copay flat for a crown. And it's a, you get free fillings on Medicaid and you get all this, you know, stuff. It'd be a tremendous increase in the quality of medical provision right. for vast numbers of people. And all you have to do, it would take a very, very easy process in the government. All you would have to do is get rid of the caps and create a sliding scale for people to buy into the program. This program's already there, you know, and you, you know, after the first year, you look at how much funds are needed to support it. You, you fund it. And, you know, half the people who are on Medicare get Medicaid anyway. You know, they use Medicaid as well as Medicare, you know. And so I don't understand why people are saying Medicare for all when Medicaid is can be for all with a very simple pen change basically to the law. And the reason is because people don't want to be associated with a poor relief program in this country. And, and, I, and like I said, I can admit I – my initial reaction was the same. I don't, I just don't want government run stuff. But then, you know, I have to try to think yeah. about everyone else too, though, because That's my situation right. isn't everyone else's situation. Just like, right. when, but you know, things that keep Medicare happening. and Medicaid ain't government run though. Right. But that's what you know. that's the impression we get. Right. Cause that's just the like impression that they want you to have. <laughs> What's that? I said, that's the impression they want you to have that it's a government run socialist medical system when as a matter of fact all it is you still go to see your doctor it's just a different person than you pays for it you know what i mean that's the essence of single-payer health care it's not you paying it it's a different person i.e the government who's putting the bill right now for medicare you know or medicaid it's just expanded to everybody instead of you know each individual person having to pay for it out of their own pocket well, it's just like this thing with racism. I have so many people saying, well, that's not true. That's not true. And I have to remind them, well, just because something's not happening to you doesn't mean it's not true. And so over time, I've thought that about healthcare. Like, well, just yeah. because I'm not in their situation doesn't mean it's not happening where people sure. can't just simply go, like you said, get a filling. Mm -hmm. So, I, yeah, yeah, I don't have the answer, I mean, but I believe we need to do something. We we really do. It's not even yeah. a we really need to do something right. different. And if you if you want a very simple analogy for your for your audience, you know, to just dwell on for a minute, what costs more to a person, getting a filling or getting their tooth extracted because it's rotting out of their face? You know, wouldn't you rather pay for a person to get a filling, yeah, than to get their tooth extracted because someone's going to pay for it, and if they can't do it, it's going to go on to it's going to go on to health you know insurance providers. 
if they can't afford to get it when they when they actually need to get emergency care to get their tooth extracted because they're cause it's causing them to have sepsis, you know. Whereas if they would have had the ability to get it taken care of when it was just a filling, it'd be a very simple procedure, wouldn't cost anybody hardly anything. Right. Why wouldn't we have a system that encourages people to go in when they're when they first get sick rather than when they're about dead? And I think that's what um, that's. I've heard other people make that analogy too. What yeah. you know? What's the greater? What's the greater cost? Well, well you've kind of already summed up the next thing I was going to ask about this tweet, <laughs> uh, where you talked about capitalism, and you said capitalism is immoral because it orients the efforts and resources of the entire society to benefit to the benefit of the group that makes up the capital class. But I think you've already, I was gonna ask you to elaborate and there's more to that, but yeah. I, you, you kind of already went all. Well, if I could say a word about that, and this is one of the things that just uh, really briefly, this is one of the things that socialists might disagree on is the use of uh, language about ethics and morality with regard to socialism. Right. Uh, I happen to be of the school of thought that believes that socialism is an, is an ethical or moral system because of the fact that it, it takes the resources of society and returns them to society. Whereas in capitalism, I happen to believe that the, our system takes the resources of society and returns it to just a small part of society. And right. when you put it, if I, if I were to put it that way without using the word capitalism or socialism, or vice versa, you know, respectively, Nobody would have a problem with what I just said. Right. People would say, yeah, that doesn't seem fair. If we take something that everybody puts in on and, and only a few people get a benefit out of it, they would say, yeah, that's immoral, of course. But I put the word capitalism and socialism on it. Now, all of a sudden, it becomes a, a, a value judgment on those two systems. And people are really def, you know, defensive of, of their chosen system. Whereas... You know, if you say that socialism takes all of, you know, you hear the whole thing like you have two cows, you <laughs> milk two cows and the government takes, you know, the milk or whatever. That's socialism. You have two cows. You get to spend the money how you want. That's capital. A thousand, that, that, a thousand that, times. <laughs> that is that is complete nonsense. All right. That is absolute <laughs> nonsense because what happens is the community has two cows. The community assigns people to milk the two cows, and the community benefits from the milk of the two cows. That's socialism. All right. In capitalism, the community owns two cows. The employers of the capitalists hire a person to milk the two cows, and then the capitalists take the milk. That's right. capitalism. You know, and if you put well, it like not, that, they sell it back to the community. Yeah, and they sell it back to the community, right? And the only people who have any money are the people that got hired to milk the cow in the first place. Everybody else does without milk. That's capitalism. And so, you know, you could flip that on its head and you could talk about how immoral that system is. You could talk about it all day. But when we're not talking about morality, you know, like a lot of socialists are kind of like, eh, we don't want to talk about it. morality and ethics. You can't really have that discussion. So I think that's why I put that tweet up. Why wouldn't they want to talk about that? I mean, because capitalists and I hear it all the time and, yeah. you know, I'm a, I'm a churchgoer and we talk about yeah. selfishness. And yeah. I believe capitalism breeds selfishness. So a lot of people end up feeling guilty later on in life. Oh, I never did more and I got this money and blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, yeah. you're, you're a capitalist. That's what we do. Yeah, we, well, I we mean, you did the, you played the game by the rules, you know. Congratulations, yeah. you won. You know, Congrat your, your brother might be starving on the, in the gutter over there, but you won. Right. Congratulations, you played it by the rules. <laughs> the rules are designed to create winners and losers. And he's the loser and you're the winner. Good, good work. 
I think one of the reasons why why socialists don't really want to talk about morality and ethics is because, and this is from my understanding, it's a very, very basic understanding of this question. At some point, I think Karl Marx said that morality was a language of the rulers. And mm. morality is used by the rulers to trick the workers into like buying into their own oppression or their own exploitation. And so there's like a strict, like, shut up about morality, shut up about ethics. That's the language of, you know, the ruling class that you're right. adopting to justify your own exploitation. I happen to disagree. I'm not a Marxist. I happen to disagree with that, that thing in particular. I think that morality is at the basis of all of the decisions that we make. And if we want a system of, of government, a system of economy that is a, that's just, you know, justifiable as far as, you know, that everybody gets some benefit of the contribution that everybody makes. I think that that has to be socialism. It doesn't necessarily have to be socialism, but it has to look something like socialism, right? You know, in order for it to be morally justifiable. If it if it's, you know, I work uh, six hours, I make the boss ten thousand dollars, and I only get paid whatever six hours wages of that is. Then I'm being exploited, man. Yeah, and you know, where's the rest of the ten thousand dollars going to? It's going into his pocket. His pocket. And he right. didn't make the money. I made that. I made that ten thousand dollars for him. I mean, to me, that's robbery, you know, and nobody will disagree with the fact that robbery is immoral. Nobody will say, oh, yeah, good job. You really robbed those workers really well. You know, congratulations. You deserve a, you know, a yacht and a, and a multimillion dollar mansion for that. Good work. But in our country, that's exactly what the, what the effect of it is. See, this is why I wanted you on. <laughs> I could never sit here and talk about this stuff by myself because a lot of it I didn't know. I mean, that's you know, yeah. I'm just trying to learn for myself too. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I do. Ha I do have a whole book about this stuff. Yeah. You know, ethical socialism. If I could, if I could plug it at the end of the show, I'd be very grateful. Oh, absolutely. You're. Yeah. All, it, it's always welcome. Uh, yeah, yeah. So thinking about that, you know, upon careful study, I think most Americans will find that uh, socialism hasn't actually been tried anywhere, has it? And why do you think a general, genuine socialist social organization has or hasn't been tried? Well, you know, this is a, as we talked about before, this is a kind of a flip on the, on the standard question. You know, if socialism is so great, why hasn't anybody tried it before? Uh, but I think that the question you ask is probably a lot fairer than the one that most people ask about that to socialists, because why do I think it has been tried? I think the fact is, is that men, men and women get in the way yeah. of actual socialism being tried because I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things like take, take someone like Vladimir Lenin, for example, communist revolution in the Soviet union. And if anybody doesn't know that, then they need to spend a little bit more time in school. Cool. <laughs> I mean, the guy's name is all over the freaking internet now. Yeah. Uh, take him for example. He might have had a you know a good idea or a good socialist model in mind when he started. But as a matter of fact, once he gets into power, you know this is giving him full credit. Okay, once he gets into power, immediately the West under Great Britain and to some degree France, and definitely we have a historical example of this: the United States attempt to strangle his revolution. In its in its cradle, the right. United States actually sent expeditionary forces to to the Soviet Union after uh, I want to say 1921. Between 1921 and 1923, we actually had military forces in Russia to fight against Vladimir Lenin. 
So you see that a lot of the things that came about as a result of that civil war, which wasn't resolved until a lot of Russians were dead and Russians believed that the whole rest of the world was against them and were trying to kill them. The Soviet Union is a result of that the existential crisis at the very beginning of their experience. Right. If you look at if you look at Cuba, for example, Fidel Castro was a he was a bourgeois lawyer. He went to law school and he became a lawyer, and then he became a political activist after he was a lawyer. And he actually, when people call him Doctor Fidel Castro, it wasn't just some honor. He actually had a JD. I mean, the guy was actually a lawyer. He's a practicing lawyer, and he couldn't make it as a lawyer, so he became a revolutionary. Which I would think that that's awesome, but. <laughs> Uh, he, you know, he he supported liberal politics. He supported. He was opposed to, um, you know, dictators and, and that sort of thing. And then he was run out of the country as a result of his actions at the Moncada barracks. Yeah. Uh, in fifty, oh God, Cubans are going to kill me. Fifty three, I believe. Yeah, uh, for a while. Fifty three. He went to Mexico for a couple of years, and they came back to Cuba at the end of fifty six, and you know, fought the revolution. Well, you know, in nineteen fifty nine. The United States uh, thought that well, he's he he might be a jerk and he might be a leftist and a you know whatever, but he's just a populist and we can actually control him. Yeah. When when the United States realized that they couldn't control him by early 1960, we had an embargo on his country, like a full on embargo that we haven't lifted even to this day. I know that there was some like movements under Obama to try to lift it a little bit, but as a matter of fact, it's been clamped it down. Travel, the travel yeah. was right. it? Yeah, right. We still don't, we still don't officially trade with Cuba. We still don't, you know, just because of the fact that we couldn't stand the fact that little old Cuba was deciding that they weren't going to play ball with us in the Cold War, right? And so the result that you see in Cuba of, of not only that in the 1960s, the relentless attempts to assassinate. Castro, uh, at least one failed invasion. What more bombings of by our planes of of Cuban, uh, you know, economic uh, assets and government installations over forty years or whatever. Then, which is their primary benefactor in the nineteen eighties, which led to the special period where they actually had to clamp down on their economy. A lot of the stuff you see in Cuba is a result of all of these things. So to answer the question, why hasn't true socialism uh, been tried? You know, it's possible that one answer, not the only answer, but one answer is it's never been allowed to be tried. Right. You know, anytime that's anytime that's even come close, you know, that might entertain some kind of success, you know, people put a stop to it. Yeah. And we see that now because now it's just, oh, it's bad. You don't want it. Look what yeah. happened if we have it. Right. Well, yeah, we listen. can't really look what happened if we have it because we don't really have a working example right. because think what people are giving are as examples really are socialist examples no i don't think so and look at how the the republicans especially and and the democrats to some degree too how they you know buried bernie sanders's campaign simply because of the fact that they don't want a socialist we're not oh, a socialist country yeah you know and how donald trump talks about radical leftism of biden you know if that's radical left in this country we're never going to have socialism i mean that's ridiculous that's one of those words from 2020 that I want to go away. Radical. Radical. That and cancel and yeah. uh, what's the other? Karen. Let's let's stop saying that. <laughs> how, about we, we say, how about we say radical like we used to say it as in cool? Yeah, it used to be cool. Radical, yeah. dude. 
Yeah, it's radical. <laughs> but there's a new Bill and Ted movie coming out. Maybe they'll turn it around. Maybe yeah. they'll. Yeah, it's. I I am so sick of hearing people say that the radical left. Well, left. Stop, please. <laughs> I'm a radical leftist. Okay, Joe Biden is not a radical leftist. I advocate. The reason I'm a radical leftist is because I advocate for radical solutions to the problems that we have. I don't believe in reform. I think the reform is two steps forward, one step backward, two step forward, one step backward, or vice versa. One step forward, two steps backwards is more often the case. I think you need to like stop playing the game completely and play a different game. That's a radical leftist right there. I, I, I agree. We need to stop playing the game because what happens too with reform always, there's the DC squabbling so nothing ever gets done anyway. And by the time something does get done, it's too late anyway. So mm -hmm. a lot of the times, um, I don't know. I, yeah, we got to try something different. Like I said, from the beginning for me, it, it really is. I just think this only allowing two parties to constantly keep doing the same things that they keep doing over and over again. I think that's literally the root of the problem. Now, I'm not going to say I'm a socialist because again, I'm just learning. Uh, you might be a socialist. I might be. A <laughs> might not know. Not yet. Someone told me I was a libertarian. I actually took this test once. I'm like, well, whatever. And then, a, a, or a centrist. I'm like, I, there's too many labels. I don't, uh, that's part of my personality too. I'm not being on labels. So, uh, be a libertarian and a centrist. I don't know how that's even possible. I don't, because uh, this test I think was just flawed. I mean, you get different, you know, you get different outcomes every time you take it. So, sure. Sure. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we have covered a lot more than I thought we would. Um, you know, do you, want to, do you want to talk about this uh, defund or abolish question you got? Sure. I, yeah, yeah, we can talk about that. What do you What do you feel about that? What well, What the America's course of action going forward here? I listened to the program that, that you uh, you had on that that topic, and I thought it was really like interesting how uh, how you how you pointed out the fact that because of the fact that defund is so misunderstood right and not a lot of people have actually you know i saw something i think i forgot who it was it was someone on twitter today who said yes there is a policy uh you know policy agenda for defunding the police you know stop saying it doesn't mean anything she wasn't talking to you of course she's just talking to some generic detractor that's out there saying defund the police means abolish the police. Well, you know, I don't necessarily, I believe what Angela Davis said that we need to abolish prisons, but what she was saying is the reason why we need to abolish prisons is because we cannot reform the prison system. Okay. The prison system is what it is and it's, it's designed and it does exactly what it was designed to do, which yeah. is to segregate people out of society and basically dehumanize them. And unfortunately, in our country, as we see as a result of several very deliberate policies, one particular one promoted by Mr. Joe Biden, yep, we, uh, we have mass incarceration of you know black and brown people in this country. Yep. And you know, I will say, I'll get on, I'll get on the uh, the soapbox as well. Being a white person, poor whites as well get thrown in jail at a it, higher than average rate. Yeah, it really you is. Know? Once you get below a certain class. Hey, yeah. we're we're fair game, you know. We don't yeah. we're not we're not as overrepresented in our prison as black people are, for sure. Because black men and black women uh in this country represent something like 13% of the population. 
but they represent right. something like, and I'm going to, I'm going to make up a number. I'm probably going to be wrong here. So please ask your listeners to not like jump all over my case about this, but something like 30% of the population in jail is black. It's completely it's, imbalanced. You know, it's, it's, it's way off, but you know what? The thing that everybody in jail has in common is that they're all poor. Yep. And, and, and our prison system is designed specifically because we can't employ all those people. We got to do something with them. You know, and because people are trying to make, they're trying to disconnect poverty from right. that. And you I can't, you I can't to try to make that point during that, 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 that show that they are completely intertwined. We right. see it all the time. Yep. That's exactly right. It's, 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 it's both a, like people say, well, we need to focus on class and not race or sex or gender, but we need to focus on race, sex and gender and class. Yes. And other economic things that are involved and have this whole, like it's, they, they call it intersectionality. I'm sure that everybody's familiar with that term by now. Everybody should be familiar with it. Intersectionality where all these things intersect in the same, they intersect and they have the same exact uh, symptoms to a, a huge problem and poverty and this attitude toward this, toward power, you know, um, it, it's all behind it. it, it everything, you know, they ice tea in this band body count, I'm going to bring a musical reference here. Great band. I've listened to them for, for 20 years now. Uh, yeah. Body Body Count has has, uh, has has put a song out, I think maybe uh, three or four years ago, called No Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And this is a this is a response to say, you know, we talk about Black Lives Matter and that kind of thing. And, and, and you say all lives matter. What you're doing is you're basically distracting from what I'm trying to say, yes, of course, all lives matter, but we're talking about black lives right now. When I'm, when I have, if I say black lives matter and you say, you know, all lives matter, if I say gay lives matter and you say all lives matter, what you're doing is you're trying to take away from what I'm trying to say. And so he's saying, but when you really think about it, for all those people who really give a damn about anyone, they'll put, they'll put you in jail, no matter who you are. And they'll shoot you in the street no matter who you are. Right. Because in the United States, black has always stood for poor. And when you talk about black on black crime, what you're doing is talking about poor crime. And when you talk about poor people, what you're doing is you're talking about these scary black people, you know, or these scary uh, Mexicans or these scary like white dudes, you know, who are going to threaten you and take away your property and, you know, and, and hurt your family and the people you love. And it's easier in our country instead of actually having to deal with the reason why they're poor or why they might turn to crime to just lock them up and throw them in jail. And so we abolish the prison because that's what the prison is for. Now, whether or not we abolish the police, on the other hand, that's a different discussion, I think. But it's at this point now in time, we have to have those things. But we need to start with is helping support these communities. Yeah, but I mean, here's where I would disagree with you, okay? Uh, you're, you're right. We got to starts with helping communities and starts with doing like community service and changing the way the police interact with the with the people that they interact oh, with. Talking about the I money. Mean, we need to invest. Yeah. Invest in, in like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you there. But what I'm saying is that the thing that they're the thing that people when they say abolish the police or defund the police or like angela davis says abolish the prisons the prisons are obsolete is they're not talking about the police force in ames iowa <laughs> what they're doing is they're talking about the institution 
that is underlying all of this, the police themselves, you might, you know, you probably have come across a lot of police that are just fine. You know, I, I, I can think of, um, what's that? I have neighbors who are police. I have yeah. family members that are police. We're not talking about giving that. You, they might be fantastic people, you know. You're not talking about taking their jobs away. What you're yeah. doing is you're talking about taking away the the whole concept of the police as being against people. You know what I mean? Because you can have a police force in the community that's not against the community. But right now, the way the police are organized, the right now the way the police are funded and they're armed and they're trained is to treat the police as if, as treat the community, excuse me, as if they're enemies or they're like threats. Yeah. You know, and when you talk about a, abolish or defund the police, what you're doing, you're talking about getting rid of the institution that's behind that. A, a police interaction doesn't have to be a negative encounter. It could be, you know, it doesn't have to be violent. It doesn't have to be forceful. It doesn't have to be any of this stuff. You can actually have a, a, a cop. If I'm out speeding around and a cop stops me and gives me a ticket, that's that's one thing. But why should a cop, if I'm out speeding, why should a cop ever pull me out of my car? You know, why should a cop ever pull his gun on me? Why should a cop certainly approach my car with a gun drawn? There's a reason why the cop does that. And when you talk about defunding the police, you're talking about defunding the program that teaches him that he needs to do that. And and that's and I think really probably my problem is more of the language because those words look what has happened because now people are really turning against each other because yeah. of those words you're you're saying it wrong well yeah maybe that maybe that's their maybe that's their problem you know but the idea behind it is it's very understandable it's very relatable to any like reasonable person Nobody wants to have a cop who's like heavily armed, you know, threatening them in their lives when they're stopping up some routine thing. No. You know, nobody wants that. And, you know, and you can be full on blue lives matter and you're, and you're not talking about that. Nobody wants that. And yeah. so, so why is it that we have police that, you know, in this, in this latest case of this fellow, there's been more shootings, by the way, not just this guy. He's not, he's not even the, the most recent one. This fellow up in uh, in uh, Jake, Jacob Blake up in Kenosha, yeah. The dude, you know, who knows what the guy was trying to do? That's not important. the 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 point is, the video we saw was two cops chasing this guy with their guns drawn on him. He gets in his car and they shoot him in the back with the intent. You know what I mean? The intent to kill him. I. It's unconscionable. Like why would I, I? I you know every every time one of these comes out. It's like, oh my gosh, that is the worst one ever. This one. I mean, he's you pulling know, it by his shirt. They're, they're all bad. They're all horrible. Whatever happened to the, um, what do you call it? The law of the West. You don't shoot a man in the back, first of all. <laughs> so, well, yeah, you don't shoot him. That's you true. You don't, and you yeah. don't do that either. But whatever happened to the fact that the cops aren't supposed to shoot, shoot first and ask questions later? At what point did those police officers, and, and this is a real, this is a very important point. At what point did those police officers decide that that man was a threat to the point that they needed to pull their guns out on him? There's two of them there. Was he carrying a weapon? Was he threatening I, I them in any way? I don't know the full details because I got so disgusted by it that I'm like, I just don't even want to know anymore. But yeah. 
what I've heard was he was breaking up a fight between two women. I don't yeah, know if that's, that's, that's what I heard too. I mean, I don't, I'm not a jury. I don't have all the evidence in front of me, but the point yeah. I'm making is that under no circumstances does the cop have the right to shoot someone in the back with the intention of killing them for what a cop is not an executioner. A cop is a law enforcement officer. And you know, the, the reason why, and Donald Trump makes a big deal about this. Nobody respects the cops anymore. Why not? Because <laughs> they do stuff like that. You know, I mean, whenever I see a cop and this has been my entire life, you know, you can see if anybody's watching this and if you're just listening to it, I'm going to tell you straight out, I'm a hundred percent white. All right. <laughs> and I have, I'm, I'm also poor. I, I feared the cops my entire life. Mm. because I know they can do stuff like this and they can do it with impunity to get away with it. Yeah. You know, and if, if I'm afraid of the cops, how much more afraid of the cops than that black dude? Yeah. How much more should he be afraid? Because they, he knows that nothing is going to happen to those cops unless there's some massive national movement and people burning the city of Kenosha down before the, before the police treat the guy like he's a normal, like treat the cops who shot the guy like they're normal citizens and they get, you know, picked up and put in jail for their crimes, you know? And as for the protests and riots, you know, I don't condone rioting, but, you know, we, people do it and there's outside agitation. We know that by now. But like I said earlier, Americans have the attention spans of gnats. People <laughs> yeah. don't remember or they choose not to Rodney King. Right. Do they remember why there was a riot in L.A.? The riot in L.A., that didn't happen because he got beaten. That happened because there was no justice after the fact. Right. Because the cops got and off. And that's what people have to understand. The reason why people are so, not only because these things are happening, mm -hmm. people know, well, there's nothing going to happen to the cops that did it. Right. right. That's... And you know the, th the thing is, is that I have, you know, I, we talked about Ant at the beginning. Ant Pruitt is a really nice guy. Yeah. He put out he put out a statement, and Ant Pruitt, for, for those of you who don't know, is on Twit. He does photography and he does wellness on Twit, which is really, these are really cool programs. And this week, he, <laughs> he, and this week in tech, yeah. And, uh, he put out a statement right after um, George Floyd, I believe. Yeah, and he told, me, he told me about his experiences with racism. He didn't talk about race a lot, you yeah. know. And uh, he put out a, a statement about his experiences. It was a very moving statement. And Ant's like the nicest guy you'll ever meet in your entire life. He's gentleman. a very giving. He's a very gentle man. Yes, he is. And he's huge too. He's got massive muscles. You'd think <laughs> that he, he like has the physique of a bouncer. You know yeah. what I mean? But he's the nicest guy in the world. Like I, he used to run a trivia. Pro here's here's how nice Ant is. Okay, he used to run a trivia online trivia thing, and every single week he would actually out of his own pocket leave send the winners of the week's trivia a prize in the mail i wow. still got my shirt that he sent me for winning one week out of like a zillion weeks that i played i finally won one week he sent me a t-shirt that said you have uh just read this in william shatner's voice <laughs> and i wear that shirt i love that shirt i just love it this is the nicest thing and he would tell stories about how he experienced racism in his life when he lived in south carolina and how how he hear how he hears stories about his grandparents and his dad talk about the experiences they had in Jim Crow South. Yeah, and it was like it's almost like man, you know, I didn't even think about that, and but yeah, well, I mean, I totally get it. Believe this stuff, and it causes him to actually do that. 
Yeah, people believe there. I I know people who believe this stuff isn't true, and that that was a long time ago, and it's over now. You should hear. Do you know O Doctor? See, we're name dropping now. He was on. Yeah, he was on Twit the other day, and mm. he Leo Laporte lets him close the show, and he was talking about his experience with his house being robbed, and how he didn't call the police. He went to the police station to file a report and the detective asked him, well, why didn't you call the police? Why did you come here? And he told the detective, well, because I've seen videos where people call the police and they end up getting killed. And the mm -hmm. detective said, okay, fair enough. Yeah. But even worse than that, I mean, he talked about how he had gotten pulled over some 80 something times. He's only had three tickets, but he would constantly get pulled over. Right. But worse than that, he decided to move while he was moving. He had the door open. You know, you're loading a truck. He yeah. looks out the window and there's like 13 cops surrounding this house with their guns drawn. Right. And he goes down and says, you know, what's going on? And they're telling him, give us your ID. You know, mm -hmm. what are you doing here? He's like, dude, look, I'm moving out. Right. And. I mean, how many I times does this happen? This stuff happens. Right. How many times does this happen when they don't report it? You know, that you never heard that story because someone wasn't there to film it. Right. You know, or all the dudes who in, who were in New York City who would got who would get stopped by stop and frisk. You know, oh cops God. would just roll up on dudes walking on. Why did they think that was something like 10,000 people? <laughs> oh, my God. So when you talk about abol abolishing or defunding the police. What I think they're talking about, and I might be wrong about this, but I'm, I'm willing to accept correction if I am wrong. What they're talking about is the system that leads cops to feel like they need to do that. Right. To roll up with 13 cops on some dude. You know, right. you're, you you got a fan out here in the audience that's asking about uh, caseworkers and therapists going out with cops in northern Kentucky. <laughs> uh, this fellow, J Jason Gillum, I'm not really sure. But I think that even that would be part of the defund the police movement where you're taking away cops – funding for military uh, weaponry and putting it with caseworkers and therapists because a lot of the people that the cops deal with and a lot of people that the cops shoot, to be honest with you, are homeless people. And homeless yeah. people got a lot of mental problems that aren't being addressed because they're living under a bridge rather than going in to get, in, get their mental problems. So if you send a therapist or a caseworker out with the cops, who could possibly deal, uh, deal with that individual? Perhaps it would never escalate to the point where the cop feels need to pull and the gun out there. There's already people making fun of that. Yeah. They I, say that's the most ridiculous thing ever. It, they call it stupid. And that's, and again, that's another problem I think we're having in America. Mm. There's no, no one even wants to entertain new ideas anymore. It's, this is how we've always done it. That's mm. it. Yeah. Because like I said, this stuff doesn't happen to people. So they believe it doesn't really happen to anyone. Yeah. But, but it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen to them. So, so it's not. I, mean, I can't now, tell you how many times I've been harassed by cops, and like I say, I'm I'm a white dude. So if it's happened I'm, to me, I'm going to be perfectly honest because when George Floyd happened, you know, of course we had to have another talk with our kids, and my wife asked me, hey, "Do you ever feel like you've been profiled before?" Mm -hmm. And to be honest, no. You never have. <laughs> I've been pulled over. I've been arrested. I've been to jail before. But you know what? It was on my own stupid stuff I was doing. I've never, I've never been to jail before, man. Oh, I have. <laughs> <laughs> Although, 
Oh, it was young man, stupid stuff, you know. Although, although after nine eleven, I had two people from Spearfish, South Dakota, turn me into the cops for looking like a terrorist because <laughs> I looked, I looked like a dude who bombs buildings in New York City, and I fled and hide it out. I'm deciding to hide out in Spearfish, right? <laughs> but you know, I think a lot of the problem too is I there's a there's a friend of the show, Cy Barrett he brought this up. His father was a police chief back in the day, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think it was in Illinois. And he was talking about how, remember how the police used to be from where they were policing, how they would walk the beat. You know, it's like, we don't have that anymore, do we? And I thought some places made it to where cops had to live where they're patrolling. Right. I mean, don't you well, know? I think that's part of the problem too. Is these you got to know people? Yeah, right. And I think in rural areas you get a lot more of that. Yeah, but like for example, in New York City, where you got 19 million people all stacked on top of one another. Well, they have the kind Yeah, you get you get people from New Jersey who aren't even from the state coming to work for New York City Police Department. They may only live seven miles away, but they ain't from the neighborhood, you know. Right. And so you know you you run into the problem of, sh- of staffing. So how do you develop? You probably would have to have a community police model yeah, that would ensure that the people are from the neighborhood, you know, and it's easier if, if, for example, you see all these cop shows from like the eighties and stuff like that, where these Mm. guys are going out to the stores, these cops are walking the street and going out to the stores and saying, Hey, Jimmy, how's it going, Bob? Hey, you know, we got some reports of some dudes in the neighborhood causing some problems. What do you say? Like, Oh yeah, I know who these guys are. Like that's right. a com- that's a community policing model, but they right. don't allow cops to walk in the streets anymore because they have this whole idea that every single person they come across is a is a freaking criminal and a perp and is going to shoot them, and so yeah. cops don't even do that. And so, like I, you know, I'm going to just reiterate what I've said, you know, a couple times now. When you talk about defunding the cops, you're talking about defunding the program that teaches the cop that. And you have to take that money and put it into other resources, you know, that teaches the cop how to like get back into the community, for example. Right. And and I, I, that's kind of what I was trying to convey to was, like I said, I think the language is horrible. I think it was the worst thing people could have said that. Why, why would you call it that? Because it does automatically get that thought in your mind. Oh, you're just talking about taking away the police. Right. Well, (laughs) you know, also, there's the whole idea of propaganda. I had a professor that once told me that when you're coming up with propaganda slogans, the fewer the syllables, the more the more success it has. So, so they, <laughs> he said, he said, you know, if you don't believe me, just look at 2008's presidential election. I mean, what was Obama's campaign slogan? Yes, we can. It was no, it was hope. Well, hope, even let, yes, we can. Hope, yeah. bam, hope. One yeah. syllable, one syllable. We, yes, we can was three syllables. John right. McCain's slogan was some crazy thing. And I'm just going to make it up now. It was something like, we're going to fight for the American middle class or some crazy thing like that. There's like 900 syllables in John McCain's campaign slogan. And he's running against hope. <laughs> and, and people can say, people can say, look, I know, I know Barack Obama's 2008 campaign so well. This is 12 years after the fact. I can still right. tell you what his campaign slogans are. Hope or yes, we can. Or if you want to do it in Spanish, si se puede. You know, I can do it in Spanish too because that's how easy it was to remember. Right. You know, so defund the police is a lot like lot like that. Defund the police. There's three words. Defund is is two syllables. The and police. That's it. Five that's syllables. Allocation. 
Yeah, as opposed to Blue Lives Matter. There's four syllables there. But I mean, I think maybe we got a we got a like a different issue going on here that may put that theory to rest. I don't know. I, don't know. I think we Yeah. I mean it's easy to remember, I, that's why they wanna, picked it. Yeah, I just want to make sure people understand I do support law enforcement. I don't believe in getting rid of police, but I do believe we need to do things differently. We we need to stop this. No, we're not doing it. Like everything's a knee jerk reaction of well, no, we're not gonna change anything. No, we we have to. Times change, things change, people change. We have to change yeah. along with it. And I otherwise I'm, go ahead. Otherwise, we have the situations that we have now mm -hmm. because you have these people who are in power that are so entrenched in not changing anything and scaring people to believe that change is going to burn their houses down, mm -hmm. that nothing will change. Yeah. I'm of the mind that a lot of the police officers would like some change, too. Like yes. if you talk to the actual police officer, I believe that most of them would say, yeah, we got to do something different than what we're doing. Yes, I believe but that. They're, they're, you know, their eyeballs deep in the system, man. I mean, they, I can yeah. understand how they can't. You know, and Americans are so wedded to this idea that any change means I've lost. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what's working against change. Yeah. But, you know, I agree with you. I, th I think that maybe saying defund the police, you know, if you actually took the time to explain what the policy was, people would just tune out anyway. You know. <laughs> Oh, I've had that happen yeah. <laughs> several times. Like, did you even listen to what I was saying? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that, yeah. What I, do you do? It's a tension, man. Yeah. Well, we've run a lot longer than we usually do. But again, I'm so thankful that you came on and gave us, gave me an oh, education on a lot of things. If I could pay you, I would, but, you know. <laughs> Well, that's okay. I'm a teacher, but I will use this opportunity to give myself some free media here. Absolutely. If you don't mind. Your book. Okay. If you if you if you go on to if you go on to uh Amazon, all right? I'm gonna sound like an old man here. This Amazon thing, if you click on the Amazon, you could go <laughs> go on go on the Amazon, it's called the practical effects of time travel. And what it is is a time travel utopia. It's a, a socialist philosophy, and I probably am cutting out half my audience by saying that, but I don't really care. It's a, it's a philosophical book that is in the form of a, of a sci-fi time travel utopia where a young lady who is, she is at the pinnacle of the capitalist game and she's, she's a develop a real estate developer. So she makes money by just making deals. You know, she's generations deep in, in wealth all money that she could possibly spend. She gets talked into jumping into a time machine and accidentally ends up about 144 years in the future. And <laughs> she can't get back because she breaks the time machine. Uh, that's the end. Uh, you know, but while she's, in, while she's in the future, she sees what a society that's based, that's based on the idea that if you have competition, competition can actually be less efficient than cooperation. Yeah, she sees what that society is like if that maxim is put in practice, and it ends up looking, you know, a lot like you know a, a society that has universal basic income, it has you know free medical care, it has a nationalized workforce where people don't have to worry about whether or not they have a job or whether or not they have health care. Uh, it has a police force which actually, which actually prevents crime rather than punishing people. 
uh, you know, and, and, and the laws are made more reasonably and there's a whole lot less laws and there's a whole lot less taxes. And basically that's, that's the kind of society that she discovers throughout the course of the, of the rest of the book after she ends up in the future. So I would suggest that people, if they're interested, they get it. It's both in Kindle and paperback. And it's I called just started reading it. So. It's called the practical effects of time travel. It's a very exciting book. It's a, um, not exciting. What am I talking about? I don't mean to like false advertise. It's a it's a book of philosophy. It's right. rather boring, and it actually takes on the form of several you know lectures <laughs> on moral philosophy. Right. But it's it's an update of a of a historical novel that was one of its best sellers back in the day. Yeah, I was uh, going to mention that. 18, uh, 1888. This was the the second highest seller during those two those two years, next mm. to the Bible. In the United States, it outsold Mark Twain's uh, Huckleberry Finn right. in '88, uh, I believe, in 1888. But th that was written by Edward Bellamy, and I make a reference to his book in there too. So after you're done reading my book, you can get the free version on Kindle of Edward Bellamy's Looking Backward and read that and, and say, "Oh yeah, of course, Doc's book's much better." <laughs> of course, <it> is. Of <laughs> course. <laughs> the practical effects of time travel, and of course, you write on Medium too. Yes, uh, I do. Yeah. At the new hab the new haberdasher uh, medium. Just type in the new haberdasher on the Google machine and you'll get <laughs> machine. And follow me on Twitter too. Yeah. W doc. Yeah. Well, sir, thank you so much for this. Sure. Yeah, like, we we ran over a lot. I I could literally go on and on and on. But, hey, man. but I'm always game, man. I love doing podcasting. I love doing you know vlogging and that kind of stuff. So and like I, I said, this was, I hope people, for people watching and people who will listen later, I hope you listen and watch with an open mind. This isn't, I'm, I don't think you were trying to pound a belief into someone. We're just trying to, right. we're just learning. I don't have to convince anybody because I know that I'm right. So right. No, there's <laughs> I don't have to win. There's <laughs> nothing to win. You know, I know that I'm correct. So <laughs> this is how it is. Right? <laughs> Big time professor. Uh, so, <laughs> all right, trained, but uh, I'm trained well, trained well. <laughs> we do voluntary input live every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Um, my co host Adam, uh, thoughts and prayers for his family. He said, he, I talked to him today, he said he's coming back next Tuesday. He misses the show because you know, but whatever, okay. every Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern. Um, we stream uh, Twitch, Twitter, DLive, uh, Mixcloud, YouTube, all that stuff. So, again, thanks again, Doc, for coming right on, and teaching man. us something. I hope somebody learned something. I learned a lot. I know that for sure. Right on. All well, right. I also learned a lot, too. So, thanks for having me, man. Hey, when you want to come back and do it again, just let me know. Hit me up on the Twitters. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> we're just gonna talk about this every day until november all right all right well, good night yep stay safe you too wear your masks <laughs> be healthy be healthy thank you for listening to voluntary input be sure to catch us live every tuesday at 9 p.m eastern standard time subscribe on youtube twitch twitter dlive and follow on Facebook to be sure to catch live airings and to view past episodes. And, if you have any questions, comments, show ideas, or if you would like to be a guest on Voluntary Input, we would love to hear from you. 
please email voluntaryinput at gmail.com. That's voluntaryinput at gmail.com.